I have been trying to shift and socialize a new narrative in the DNI space since 2012. I'm not slowing down now. I think the best way for us to do that is to have honest conversations in our organizations. And if you're not capable of doing it, you bring in someone like myself who can absolutely get it done and get it done right. Welcome to Be More, a podcast by Pecan. This is where everyone at an organization can hear different and meaningful perspectives on how we can all thrive in this ever-changing and constantly evolving world of work. I'm your host, Patrick Cornoyer. Many of you listening may have heard my guest today speak at a tech or HR event, for example, Unleash, WorkHuman, or HR Tech. And if you have been able to hear him speak, I am sure that you remember his passion, his honesty, and transparent approach to communication. Torin Ellis is joining the conversation today, and we are discussing talent in the workplace with a focus on hiring and retention. Torn is the founder of the Torn Ellis brand, which is a boutique focused on helping organizations around the world drive business performance. He has worked with organizations like Nike and Redfin, and today he shares his insights and perspectives on the future. Torin, thank you for joining the conversation today. Patrick, you know I appreciate you and the team for having me. I have been very much looking forward to this. I've been, I told you as we were preparing for this just a couple of minutes ago, I've been watching your videos and your content, and I love your energy. So I feel like this is going to be an energetic episode, which I'm excited about. So Torin, first off, let's introduce you a bit to the audience. Tell us a bit about who you are, and I think a great way to frame that is a bit about your journey, because what the audience likes to hear is the personal stories and journeys of the guests. So tell us a bit about your personal journey and the work that you're doing today. Yeah. So I will use a couple of examples from the personal side. First time that I heard and was called the N-word, I was 13 or 14 years old, delivering newspapers about half a block up from my home. And, you know, I was paralyzed. I didn't use that word paralyzed then, but but I was a bit paralyzed because I didn't know in that particular moment, by the way, the person who used the N-word on me, I was collecting money for my paper route. They answered the door with a shotgun and basically said, if I ever knocked on their door again, they were going to shoot me. I was paralyzed because I didn't know if I was supposed to tell my boss, my paper route boss and what he could do. I didn't want to tell my father because I was afraid of what he might do. I was called a boy in the military. I was told by somebody else in the military that they didn't have to take care of, you know, the way that they handled our white clothes because I was black. So on the personal side, growing up in Davenport, Iowa, I experienced and then going to the Air Force, I experienced a number of incidents with racial reckoning. How about that? Racial reckoning on the personal side. On the professional side, I am growing one of the top sales teams in the country for one of the telecom concerns in the mid-90s, and I am being passed over repeatedly for promotion. I come to find out that I'm passed over because they felt like my timing and the way that I spoke up in meetings 
was something that was less than professional. I'll give you an example. I said, you know, why are we charging 31 cents a minute for long distance when the other company is charging uh, 32 cents a minute? Like if we really want to take business away from them, why don't we just charge 29 cents or 27 cents? Or we had that liberty. But but for them, they were like, well, you should just go along and get along and don't speak up. And there were other instances I was told that I couldn't get promoted because I had hair on my face. Like my leader said, we can't trust a black man with hair on his face. Well, now I'm a professional. I'm a lot older and I can speak up for myself. And it's in that moment that I said to myself, there's absolutely no way that I'm going to continue to build a high performing team, deliver all of this revenue to this organization and be less than appreciated. The straw that broke the back, they brought a, a woman in. I trained her and then they promoted her. That was it for me. So I've been in recruiting ever since 1998, July of 1998, or I've been in talent acquisition. And I absolutely love, I mean, Patrick, when I say I love the narrative and the conversation around positioning an individual for a brand new challenge, a promise that they can do better for themselves and their family, that over that horizon, something bigger waits for them, that they can be ambitious, that they can make some mistakes. I love telling that story. So when I got in recruiting in 1998, I've never looked back. And what brought me to this point of being a diversity consultant and a risk mitigation strategist, a speaker, you know, just all things Mr. Diversity and Inclusion, what brought me here was, you know, coming out of that economic collapse of 2008, I just said in in 11, I needed to be more of a partner with the clients that I'm supporting. Transactional recruiting is cool lucrative. I mean, made a lot of money, but it wasn't fulfilling. I wanted to be intimate and work with leaders and work with people and they trust me. So that's what has me where I am today. First off, thank you for sharing that story with us, the very personal story. And I just very much appreciate you sharing it with us because everybody's journey is just very unique and how events that happen particularly when we were younger, really do shape our, our path forward and where our passions end up being. And so you've now created this very successful boutique firm to focus on helping organizations in many different ways. And we're going to talk about a couple of them today. But as you know, this season is, is really focused on organizations are challenged right now. We've heard a lot about so many people resigning from organizations, business having really struggling right now to retain their talent, retain their top talent, and also with recruiting for the future. We've had this unimaginable 18 months over the past 18 months, and it's completely changed how we operate in our businesses, how we look at people within our organizations. People have now become the center of business, business decisions, which I think is amazing. That's great. The fact that now businesses are, all many businesses around the world are, are really focused on, on their people, their people experience and how they're going to look at designing the future. But there's also a lot of challenge right now. And you have all of this experience with recruitment. You have seen recruitment change probably, I don't even know how many times, right? You were a recruiter through the 2008 recession. You were a recruiter through tech booms and dot-com bubbles and, and a lot of experience. How do you think 
recruitment, the way how people relate to work. Let's start there. How people relate to work. How has that changed in your eyes in the past 18 months? Yeah, I think the the phrase that I would put in front of everyone listening is death benefit. See, it's an absolute play on word, but I mean it sincerely because every single individual now has to wrestle with and give some, some thought to, am I positioning or am I putting myself in close proximity to someone else that has a disease, a virus that can cause, bring about death? perhaps not to myself, but to somebody in my family. So that is a real consideration that I don't believe enough recruiters, hiring managers, TA professionals, EB folks and employer branding, CSR folks, and I can keep going. I don't think enough people are honestly thinking about the death aspect of the conversation, period. We can't dismiss that. When I say benefit, I think you know, from a benefit standpoint, well, what did people get accomplished over the last 18 months? Because we're here. So many did not make it. And my thoughts and prayers and condolences go out to any listener who has experienced, you know, a loss of life, a loss of faculty or any other calamity as a result of this pandemic. But we are here at that 18, which suggests that we made it through at least up to this point. But we didn't make it without being changed or unscathed. So many of us said, wow, we get to spend more time with our family. We get to find different ways to be efficient in the work that we are doing. Oh, wait a minute. We recognize that the benefit package that we have is not really sufficient. We're tired of reading stories about women earning less than men. And so are there benefits and ways that organizations can change the package, the offering that they are giving to their women? Can we get more intimate with our employees? And when I mean intimate, can I learn more about you, Patrick? Can I figure out a way to get around the system and learn more about who you are, how you like to be led, how you like to lead, what makes you contribute, who inspires you, how are you best motivated? What is the the path for you to just be the most productive that you can possibly be? I just feel like right now, too many of our leaders are failing at having a conversation, they are falling short at having a conversation that truly suggests to the person, I care about you. I don't care about my bottom line. I care about you because if I take care of you, you'll take care of my bottom line. I don't care about this big implementation that I have sitting on the horizon. If I take care of you and all of you, you'll make sure that the implementation that we are looking at goes smoothly. I just feel like we've gotten too far away from the stakeholder and we've been too focused on the shareholder. I know the Business Roundtable made some statements a couple of years ago saying that we needed to shift our focus. I don't think enough leaders have listened. That seems to be a common point and feeling, particularly with the guests this season. I just had another conversation recently where we were talking about vulnerable leadership and how important it is for leaders to just have these meaningful personal conversations, one-on-one conversations with individuals on their teams, right? Like, as you said, understanding what makes that person who they are, what drives them, what, where they feel a sense of accomplishment, what frustrates them, what, because, you know, there's, everybody's unique within an organization and 
That is, I like this fact that you're talking about leaders need to focus on that and they need to show up. They need to show up for every single person on their team. You know, Patrick, I often say real quick, I often say, you know, again, people say, well, why are you so passionate about diversity and inclusion, diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging? Why are you so passionate about that? It just comes through. And for me, it really comes down to, you know, whenever I'm engaged in a a consulting mandate, whenever I'm standing on a stage somewhere in the world speaking, I am challenging my listener. I'm challenging the client to wrestle with what it means to be human. I want better humanity. I say the ROI of DNI is greater humanity. That is what I'm focused on. I'm not minimizing systems and system integrations and ROI and balance sheet and cost uh, mitigation. I'm not minimizing all of those business principles. I'm just simply saying, let's wrestle with what it really means to take care of the people that we say we care about. That is the human element of the equation is so critical. And let's continue on that thought process for a minute, particularly around attracting diverse talent. And the reason why I'm struggling a bit with attracting versus hiring, I think there's a big focus right now on hiring. We have to hire people. Hire, 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 right? Like we have 20 requisitions open. Recruiters say that they are completely inundated right now with trying to manage the process of recruiting for a significant amount of of roles. Hiring managers, and I used to be a hiring manager. Oh, I still am a hiring manager, but like I had responsibility for hiring. And the classic focus is how quickly can we hire somebody? How quickly can we get somebody in and working? We need this yesterday. If I heard that one time, I heard it a hundred times. But first we have to look at how do we attract talent? Particularly, how do we attract diverse talent at organizations? And how do you see focusing on the human element? Like you said, that human part of the equation, how do you see that benefiting businesses with attracting diverse talent? Are the two connected? Are the two, do they work together? They do. So a soft edit. Yes, please. I'm not trying to be the word police, but a soft edit is I try not to use the phrase diverse talent. I prefer to use underrepresented talent. I try not to use the phrase BAME, B-A-M-E, which is Black, Asian, Minority, Ethnic. I try not to use the European BAME. I try not to use BIPOC here in the U.S., Black, Indigenous, people of color. And I've been extremely guilty, Patrick, of saying people of color because those groupings, if you will, just kind of throw everyone in in a lazy fashion. And so when we say diverse talent, if we were talking about a group like our workforce to say our diverse workforce, different story. But when we say diverse talent and you are talking about me, it's almost like tokenism because Patrick is diverse talent. Patrick is different than I am, but we don't, when we say that we're not thinking a straight white cisgender male, but it's, it's the same. So it's a bit of a like finger on the chalkboard type thing. Again, I don't want to be dramatic. I'm not underrepresented is a better phrase. Now you ask the question, how do we attract them? And I agree with you. There is a difference between attraction, hiring, and really about messaging. And my response is the same exact way that you hire white men, the same exact way that you hire white women, the same exact way that you hire a person with or without a college degree from a higher socioeconomic status, from a different 
region in the world. What I'm getting at is that we far too often try to add some degree of complexity and difficulty to diversity recruitment, if you will, when it just really comes down to messaging and storytelling that resonates. I just want to know that when I look on the website, am I seeing individuals that look like me? If I'm not, don't throw stock photos in. Tell me, listen, we haven't done a great job or we don't have a large audience of people that are Black or African-American. We want to do better. Let's be honest. Tell me the truthful story. Tell me a story about that ambition and that aspiration that I can chase by joining your organization. That would be the same thing that Patrick would be looking for. Tell me a story that says, we're going to compensate you equal to your peers, that we are not going to penalize you because perhaps in the past, you have not been given the raises or the step promotions or whatever. We're not using any of that. We have a system in our organization that is equitable. That's the story that I want to hear. And that's not a message that is different from anybody else. It's just a matter of how do we tell this genuine, transparent story? And where are we telling that story? How often are we telling that story? I'll give you two points of reference. When I go into an engagement, one of the things that I often do is I will ask leadership to see their travel schedule and their meeting schedule. When I say leadership, I'm talking C-suite and above. I want to know who you are meeting with and where you are traveling to. That suggests to me what's important. The other thing that I think is extremely important in this this message or this process of telling stories is that, you know, we have to absolutely look at four words, empathy, intentionality, relevancy, and transparency. Empathy, intentionality, relevancy, and transparency. And the closer, and maybe a fifth word, proximity. The more we live with those words, the more we can exude them in our requisitions and our social media posts and our conversations and first screens and on-site interviews, the more we can do empathy and intentionality and proximity and relevancy and transparency, the better your results are going to be in terms of recruiting any talent. And last thing that I'll say is when you do DNI right, you do everything right. Let's talk more about that statement. Doing DNI right. This is an area, and like you, I I like to be really transparent. And I've had a lot of conversations with colleagues, you know, peers in in the larger work community. And a challenge that many organizations have. There's a big focus right now on diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging in business. And I could not celebrate that more. I think it is amazing that this is an area that people are talk A, talking about in business and B, focused on, focused on in different ways. However, at the same time, I feel that there is a, a fear. I'm curious what your thoughts are on this. There is a fear of saying the wrong thing, of not not having confidence and comfort in discussing diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging within an organization. And your point that you just made, when you get that right, everything else is right. Everything else, like that is a foundational need of success. How do you feel that it is in in business, in organizations, that there is a challenge with leaders, with 
just or, with working in an organization with comfort around and confidence around discussing topics that have to do with diversity, equity, and inclusion. And how do you approach, if you do, how do you approach helping somebody with feeling more confident or comfortable with, with this in business? Yeah. In August of 2017, one of the FANG organizations fired one of their employees because he drafted a manifesto. And in brief, that manifesto said, A, the organization was spending too much time on diversity initiatives, and two, that they were in many ways lowering the bar. And I think the third thing that he probably said was something around his viewpoint was being silenced, if you will. Well, the organization, the FANG organization fired him. I felt like that was a misstep. I said, this was an incredible opportunity for the organization to use this as a conversation because his sentiment is not his sentiment alone. It is a part of the sentiment of the other tens of thousands of employees that you have there. That's one example. In August of 2018 or so, one of the major consulting firms, one that we look to for white papers and research and whatnot, did away with their ERGs. The reason they did away with ERGs is because white men felt like they weren't invited. What makes you think that I need to tap you, Patrick, and say you're welcome to come to the group? It's an ERG, an employee resource group. So what that says to me is that the organization didn't do a great job of socializing what ERGs really are and how they are supposed to operate inside of the organization. And two, they capitulated to the fragility of white men in the organization. Now, they put something else in its place, but the point is you should have never got rid of the ERGs. They serve a purpose. Why do I give those two examples of many? I can give you many more. How do I attack it? Head on. When I go into organizations, when I'm speaking from stage, when I'm on my podcast, it doesn't matter what it is for me because I operate out of love and process. And most people know when I show up, when they hear me, they understand that Torin loves this work. He loves humanity. And to some degree, he has a love for me. Even in that 30 seconds, that 60 seconds, I love you as a human. My only cut card is I just don't have patience for racism and racist. But anybody else, if you're on the journey, if you may have said the, the wrong word, diverse talent, I'm not cutting you. I'm trying to love you and bring you on this. We are all on a journey towards being better. And so I want to take as many people on that journey as I possibly can. It would be a fool's errand of me to just be critical, to be punitive, to be negative, to always use the stick and not the carrot, to use something else other than the honey. It would absolutely be destructive to the message that I want. And Patrick, I got to tell you, I have been trying to shift and socialize a new narrative in the DNI space since 2012. I'm not slowing down now. I think the best way for us to do that is to have honest conversations in our organizations. And if you're not capable of doing it, you bring in someone like myself who can absolutely get it, get it done and get it done right. I felt that within the first 30 seconds of talking to you, Torin. When we started our conversation, obviously for the audience, we Torn and I talked for a couple of minutes before we hit the record button. And within the first 30 seconds, I felt that from you. So uh, thank you for that, because that does set the stage for 
and not just the stage, but it sets the environment for feeling comfortable, feeling, letting your guard down and having a very human connection. And I agree with you how important human connection is. But look at it. It's inclusion. Like the diversity piece is easy. Like, you know, one of the executives got in trouble some several years ago, 2016, 2017. She was sitting on a stage down in Brazil and she said that I could have a room of 14 white men and I have diversity and inclusion. I knew or assumed that I knew what what she meant by that statement, but I also knew it was problematic. If you are leading DNI efforts in your organization, you can't use an example of 14 white men and say that that's diversity and inclusion. Now, we're not on that stage in Brazil. We're on this podcast. And let me tell you, from a diversity standpoint, I could put 14 white men in a room. That's not inclusion. But if I'm serious about doing this work, I want to make sure that I'm doing everything that I can to bring you and so many others up under the tent. So again, I'm going to do everything that I can to make sure that I bring more people under what I consider to be a big tent of humanity. How do you see the next year unfolding? Now, I know that that's a there's a lot in that question, but how do you see if the last 18 months have just significantly changed the focus on the focus for business in so many ways? I was speaking in a a conversation just a couple of days ago, and we were talking about companies, maybe companies, younger companies, when I say younger, companies that have been not age-wise as far as employees, but companies maybe that have been around for five years of operation, 10 years of operation, having the ability to have much more agility, much more availability to change and being able to be focused in a different way for the coming year. On the flip side, there's organizations that have been around for a hundred years and have been built on foundations that are just different. They, they are, and they are, many organizations are really struggling with change right now. You work with so many different types of organizations, big global companies, small organizations. How do you see the next year unfolding for just culture within organizations. And the reason why I'm asking the question around culture within organizations is because there's a, this focus right now on how do we retain our talent. And I believe that retaining talent, and we just talked about this earlier, is the environment that people are in, the humanity that people are in. Like if they, if they want to be there, they're going to stay at the companies that they work for. Where do you see the next, what, what is your, if you had to look into the crystal ball and say, this is going to be work for the next 12, 12 months, this is going to be positive, or this is going to continue to be a really tough part, or maybe we're not thinking about what's going to be tough. I think it's going to be both. And I do believe that it's going to be some tough work. It's going to continue to be work, but it can also have some joy and some beauty within such. I think about four or five months ago when we marked the death of George Floyd, which a year before that was the spark for this flurry of DNI conversations. And go back to May of 2021, there's data out that says, you know, organizations in May, June of 2020 pledged somewhere in the neighborhood of 55 to $60 billion to racial and social justice type initiatives, to DNI work in their organizations, 55 to $60 billion. In May of 2021, one year later, 0.5% of that money had been realized. 
So when you ask me, what does it look like? It looks like we have to absolutely hold people accountable. That would be leadership. That would be organizations. That would be directors and employees. Hold people accountable for what you say is important. Measure that. The old saying is, what gets measured gets done. Measure it. And so right now, what I'm experiencing and seeing is that if we allow people to pull their foot off the gas pedal, they'll be distracted by things like are happening in foreign policy, things that may be happening on their balance sheet, things that may be happening in these conversations around remote work, return to work, agile work, and all of the rest of it, and that we will lose that emphasis on humanity and culture and inclusion. And so I think what's extremely important and what will really kind of bubble to the top if enough of us are continuing to agitate and apply pressure is that we will redefine the way that we talk about culture. Right now, it's this is a company's culture. This is an organization's culture. When in fact, it's a business unit's culture. It's a department's culture. There's a team culture inside of a company culture. And none of that gets curated without you paying respect to an individual's circumstance and condition. If I have to wake up at four in the morning as a single mother, because I need to catch two or three buses to get to work, because I have only a limited number of childcare facilities that I can get into, can afford, have access, whatever. If I don't understand that that single mother's condition and circumstance is a whole lot different than somebody hopping in their hybrid vehicle and scooting across town for five or 10 minutes and can get there, we've missed this moment. And so I'm hoping that people spend more time suggesting to themselves that we got to recalibrate how we define culture and how we then attach that to the individuals inside of our workplace. Torin, first off, thank you. This conversation... (laughs) I felt like we started five seconds ago because I could talk to you for the entire afternoon. But first off, thank you for your passion, number one, for your passion, for the work that you're doing, for your very direct conversation and your supportive approach to conversation. Because I love this idea of humanity and being a good person. I mean, at the end of the day, being a good person is that that is... If you're a good person, right, and you you focus on on being a good human, being a good person, then that has inflection points on so many parts, on every part of your life, quite frankly. But thank you for for focusing on that. And also, you've brought up a couple of points today that I believe many organizations are thinking about, and not just organizations, but people are thinking about. The great thing about this podcast and and the audience is that I feel that the people that listen are really thinking about this from personal perspective, not just from, oh, what should my company do? What, but what should I do? And I feel like what you've described today or what you've talked about today is really connecting on a one-on-one basis with, with humans, with people. And that's why I really like, and I wanted to get you on this podcast because I feel that you're your personal story and and the focus on personal connection is an important one. It's critical. It is critical. Many people listening 
are going to want to find out more about you and find out how to get in touch with you. So how do people find you? And you have a lot of content out there. So what's the easiest way to f- people to get in touch with you? Yeah. If you just type Torin Ellis in Google, you're going to land on, you know, any of the social media platforms. I'm at Torin Ellis. You can go to my website, torinellis.com. I like to tell people that I use every social media platform differently. Instagram is different from Twitter. Twitter is different from Facebook, so on and so forth. I have a podcast with my beautiful pod partner, Julie Sowash. Our podcast can be found wherever podcasts can be downloaded. It's called Crazy and the King. And we titled it that because Julie has a hidden disability. And we want people to see how she functions at a high level with a hidden disability. We talk about DEIB issues, stories, and whatnot. And the bottom line is I'm a person who doesn't hide. So I want to help people. That doesn't mean that every conversation for me has to result in an engagement. Book some time on my calendar. The link's on my LinkedIn profile. Let's talk for 10 or 15 minutes. I want to see your organization be better. Crazy and the King. Crazy and the King. Great name for a podcast. So Torin, thank you for spending time with us. I appreciate it. And Again, thank you for your passion. You got it, Patrick. And that was Be More, a podcast by Pecan. Be sure to search for Be More in Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Spotify, or anywhere else that you get your podcasts from. And go ahead and subscribe so that you don't miss out on any future conversations. On behalf of the team here at Pecan, thanks for listening.